Well, it's actually farting. If they're smiling, it's probably because they farted. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. maybe there is some warm feelings. Me too. <laughs> Hello, I'm Justin. I'm Mark. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Today, we are going to talk about reporting the birth of your child and um, getting his first passport. But first, let's get into the updates. How about you, Mark? Not too many updates for me this week. Uh, We're kind of jumping the gun on getting Coda out there in the world and seeing people and being out and about. So we're doing that. We're seeing more people. We're having people over and taking him on trips. In Japan, they kind of tell you not to go anywhere or see anybody for like a month, but it feels a lot like quarantine. And I'm like, why do we need to wait this long? Mm -hmm. He's fine. We're fine. Like, let's go and hang out with people. (laughs) And full disclosure, we're face to face right now. Oh, we're in a room together. (laughs) And Coda's three weeks old. Uh, right. We brought our 10-week-old Nico over to your house. Yeah. This is, I think, the second ever J-pop episode that's been done face-to-face like this. It is. It feels weird. It feels weird. <laughs> <laughs> Could be an audio nightmare. Who knows? True to what you're saying, uh, Code is three weeks old, but we are over as guests in your home, checking out this sweet, sweet baby. We had guests in the second and third week, I think, mm-hmm. but they were family members and they were coming over with gift money and so on. Right. And then that seems how you sort of like ease the baby into the into the world right. is to get the aunts and uncles over. But you guys didn't have any in-law time at their home, so it must feel like you're in the full swing of things here in your own house. Yeah, basically this is the, uh, I mean, it's been about two full weeks plus a couple days here now. So we're, we've got the hang of this part of it so far. Mm-hmm. Not much has changed with old Nico from week nine to week 10. Mm. He's just, you know, getting a little bit chubbier every day. He, it is the first time I've seen him in a couple weeks and he is bigger. He's a big boy. He's a big boy. He's over five kilograms now. He's probably way over five kilograms now. Yeah. And yeah, growing like a fat little weed. Yeah. The comparison between holding like Coda and then holding Nico, I'm just like, oh man, this kid is stout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nico feels hearty now. It's crazy. They're seven weeks apart, but um, there are a lot of things that are markedly different between yeah. the two. Are there any things about Coda that you've noticed from week two to week three? Any things that he's done differently yeah he's actually been get be getting a lot more present if that makes sense mm-hmm. like he's opening his eyes more like focusing slowly on things it doesn't last too long obviously he's only like three weeks but it was more than like last week for sure mm-hmm. and uh his next strength he's a pretty strong little dude i'm pretty surprised he's almost holding his head up on his own like looking around mm-hmm. at this point and then like his arms he's flailing around so much yeah he tried to deliver a haymaker to my face (laughs) when i held him i was amazed because nico at 10 weeks isn't really doing these like full pinwheel motions with his arms but coda's an active young man yeah if you get your face too close he will pop one square in your jaw (laughs) (laughs) he's an aggressive guy it's just like a reflexive punch yeah yeah (laughs) nico is chill and he sits back He's just very round. He sits back <laughs> and he bees round. That's what he does. Just enjoying life. That's cool. Uh, beyond that, I don't have any big updates. Mm. Or I should say I do have updates. But the biggest stuff that happened this week 
ties into our segment. So we could cross the Rubicon, go into the segment and fuse it with my updates. Let's do it. Let's get crazy. This is totally new ground for us, but let's give it a try. As we mentioned, we'll be talking about registering your child's birth with the foreign government this week. And that's what I did um, Mm. earlier this week. Uh, You know, we have this baby who is entitled to be an American citizen and a Japanese citizen, but how would America ever know about him unless I went and reported his birth to them? That's what we took care of this week. And it's in the cards for you. Yeah. And we thought we'd go over that and what that process was like. Yeah. It's a long trip, right? You guys took the train. Yes. From where we are now, the closest consulate is in Osaka, and that's two and a half hours on a Thunderbird, like an express train. It's pretty much a straight shot kind of yeah. Osaka. And then when you get out of this uh, Osaka station, you're 800 meters from the consulate. So that's easy walking distance. Nice. So that's a saving grace of the whole trip is that it's pretty convenient door to door between these two places anyway. The prep for it is like the heaviest burden, I think. Right. Once you get everything set up, it, all the dominoes kind of fall. And the consulate visit itself is not bad, but it's just preparing everything ahead of time to make sure the consulate visit's not bad. That's the trouble. And we talked about this once before, but I thought I would quickly run down the list of things you have to prepare. I should start by saying you don't only apply to register the child's birth, but you might as well get their passport, um, especially right. for this little international baby. It's highly likely that he'll travel early in his life. And the United States, at least, offers these two services kind of combined. You fill out one suite of paperwork and they will register his birth and give you a passport at the end of it. So the first thing you should do is fill out what's called the DS-2029, and that's to actually report the birth of the child. So I've been filling mine out. I think I'm mostly done with it at this point. But on the backs, on the second page, I think, there's a list of all the time that you're in the United States. Yes. Did you have to go back like from your birth and like write down like, all right, birthday here. And then I left when I was like, whatever age, and then all the way through till now. You have to do that not only for yourself, but for your wife, who is not a citizen of the United States. They want to know literally every single day that you or your wife have stepped into America, have been present in America. I mean, you can't count Canada then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We sort of ran into that because there was once when we went to Canada, but just for a day, because we lived in Vermont at the time, we Mm. just drove a couple hours up there, spent the day in Canada and came back. And then I realized I was going to put it on the reports that we had left America and then come back. But I realized we left and came back on the same day. So we were in America that same day and there was no gap. That's true. So I didn't mention that. Well, let's hope they don't listen to this. Yeah, yeah they're going to hand me down. It's still pending, by the way. I'm taking my life in my own hands here. But this is an interesting question. How many times do you think that I and my wife combined have entered the United States, like separate trips? Combined? Yeah, because you have to list them both on the same form. I mean, you've been here for, what, 15 years or so? I mean, I would say at least once a year, so I'd say upwards of 30 Very, very close. I had to list 29 different instances when we had come and gone from the United States. The first one on my list uh, spanned 23 years when I (laughs) was 
continually setting foot in the United States because I was born and lived there. I got you beat. Mine is 30. Oh, 30? 30, <laughs> 30 straight, baby. It's like there were some years when, you know, my wife would have a business trip for a few days, then she would pop over for a vacation, and then you know, we would go for some other reason or whatever. So you would have these like four-day spurts of being in the United States and they all take their own line on the form. Right. The other problem with that is that you don't normally keep this detailed record of every time you've set foot in the country. So then it becomes this like needle in the haystack game of looking through your old passports and looking for all the stamps that match up between say leaving Japan or right. if you're a US citizen, they don't stamp your passport when you enter the United States. They only stamp it when you leave Japan or enter Japan. And then on your wife's passport, it would be different than that. My wife has been to, I don't know, 20 or 25 countries and she took routine business trips. I don't know how many times she's traveled abroad. It maybe 50, maybe 100, something like that. So you're sorting through all that in the passport. And finally, we ended up with 29. And that took hours and hours and hours of yeah. sussing it out and then listing up the exact dates when you were there. Yeah, that's what we're doing right now for Moise. We, yeah. we haven't finished hers yet, but I just got through mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, the trouble with this is I think that our wives' record of entering the United States is totally useless for the purposes of reporting the birth. Yeah, I don't understand why they need hers. The reason that they want to know why uh, or exactly the dates that you've been in the United States is because citizenship doesn't pass automatically to the child, even though we're both American. Hmm. You have to meet certain criteria even beyond just being an American citizen right. to you know, give that to your child. So the main thing is, uh, and this blew my mind, I always thought it's a simple thing, like, oh, I'm a citizen, my kid will be a citizen. But you not only have to be a citizen, you have to have spent five years in the United States, and at least two of those years have to be after you turned 14 years of age. So even if you're an American citizen and you lived there from the ages of five to 10, that doesn't cut it. Or if you lived there from the ages of one to 15, that doesn't cut it. You need to spend at least two years within the United States when you're quasi adult age of you know high school, college age or whatever. So uh, they are asking for all these dates just to verify that you did spend that time. And I think that the U.S. government maximum of more is more applies to this. It's like, well, just ask them all the dates for everybody and we'll figure it out later. And then it turns into this like hours workload of paperwork that you have to figure out. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, that was uh, that was interesting to me. I always thought, you know, you watch the old sitcoms and you see somebody like, I need a green card. Let's get married. And then yeah. you realize, oh, getting a green card is wildly more difficult than that. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. And it, almost impossible in some cases. Yeah, it takes months and takes, uh, you know, more paperwork than you've ever conceived of. And it's very similar when you are just trying to pass citizenship onto your child. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. So that was the biggest lift for me on that form was uh, figuring out exactly uh, exactly when we were both in the United States. The next thing is a passport application. Mm-hmm. Classic DS-11, you know, just <laughs> print out a good old fashioned DS-11, slap it on the table, fill it out. No big deal. An interesting thing there is you need a social security number to do that form, but it it doesn't have one yet and can't get one until after the birth's been reported. So it says in the instructions, enter 00000000 for the social security number, which we did. And apparently that works. So that's the one you fill out online, right? Yeah. You fill it out online and then it auto populates a form and you print that off. 
Uh, the next thing you need is the proof of the child's birth. Of course, that's the Koseki Tohon or the family register. Mm -hmm. So you can get one of those. You guys are having a little trouble or a little waiting game with your Koseki Tohon. Our city hall is old and in the Inaka and they just take time. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, you know, because the fiscal years, everybody changes jobs here. So Koda was born like the last day of the year. And then we applied the week after that. And so all the new people are getting adjusted and all new paperwork is going in. And that's the March to April divide of the Japanese fiscal year when everything changes over. I've heard about that in the past where in an office, like the uh, workers from this department will shift over to the next department. If you have to reshuffle a company or something, you do it uh, on, say, March 31st to April 1st. That's the day everything changes. And you learned that it is true at all levels of the hospital or of the city yeah. office or whatever. They all change. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like, I guess the doctor who performed the C-section on my wife, literally the next day was like, okay, I'm moving to another hospital. See ya. <laughs> and then left. And then there was just new doctors and nurses who came in all of a sudden. Wow. I, I figured it would it would make sense that you have a bunch of generalists at an office level. Mm -hmm. Like you want people who know how to do other people's jobs. That's cool. But doctors, that just struck me as weird. Like you would want them to be familiar with people. Yeah. But I guess not. I never knew that it happened at the level at the of the hospital, yeah. you know. Um, that is surprising to me. But as you say, it does make sense to think like well okay we work in a bureaucratic sort of mm. you know city office and it's nice that people can cover for other people or you can imagine what another department is going to do with the next step of a procedure for example right. because you used to work in that department and that must help smooth things over uh, for city offices but yeah you would imagine that say a doctor would before transferring say well i need to see through this procedure with this patient which is going to end april fifth for example so let me stay on in a few days into april but they don't do that it's like april 1st you have moved on yeah i don't know if they give them any exceptions to that it kind of seems like a hard out like yeah. all right april 1st see ya that's interesting and your kid was born last day of march and then paperwork's processing beginning of april and yeah. it's just thrown a bit of extra waiting period into everything we yeah. didn't have such trouble and luckily our koseki tohon the family register was was ready for us mm. also you need to prove that you and your wife uh, are married or you know have right. this real relationship and kind of the nice thing about japan is that the koseki tohon is like a it's like a list of every life event and it's all in one document. So as opposed to having a birth certificate and a marriage certificate, one of which you might not be able to find or, mm, right. Oh, I have a copy, but I need the original and I can't find it or whatever. You can go to a convenience store and you can print off in one document, all of your major life events. And it often checks many, many boxes for a bureaucratic process. Yeah. One question I always had is they say, show proof of the child's birth, which is that document, the family right. register. And they say, show proof of your relationship to your wife, which is the same document. Yeah. And they ask for a photocopy of each. And I thought like, do I need to print off two of them and make two photocopies? And I do it just to be sure that I'm covering the bases. But mm. in the end, you need just the one original and just the one photocopy. And that's enough for them. Okay. That was my next question. Cause they do ask for the, the marriage certificate, which is the Koseki. Yeah. And it turns out we handed them a file of all of our paperwork. And then uh, after they had sorted through it, they called me back up to the window and they said, oh, you can take these back. And it was all the additional like photocopies that I had made that were not necessary. So when I did have like 
you know, double or triple of something. They just handed me back the extra and scowled at me <laughs> for being an idiot. I'm always paranoid about that stuff. You'd hate to go yeah, down, me too. like make your appointment, make the trip. And then it's like, actually you need one more copy of one thing. So yeah. Yeah. It's better to be overprepared. Yeah. The other thing about that is in Japan, they don't really do a middle name. It's just a two name country. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing your American paperwork or a lot of Western countries, you'll have a middle name. But when you show them the family register, that is the proof of your child's birth, there'll just be two names on it. So at that point, you're not only, say, translating a document or transferring a birth certificate from one country to another. You're actually altering it because you're adding a name into the proceedings. Right. So you have to fill out and take what's called an affidavit or a statement requesting a name change. And this can be really actually kind of casually done. You just type up uh, something in you know, a Word document that says his name is listed as this on the Japanese version, but we want to add a middle name, which is this. Finally, the name should look like this. And then you and your spouse both sign it. And uh, there's something called a, a material change and something called an immaterial change. Mm. An immaterial change is actually adding a middle name. And if you do an immaterial change, then you don't need a notary to get at it and to notarize the, that form. So you can really just insert a note. We need the notary because we're changing the entire last name. Yeah. And I think uh, the last time I had something notarized at an embassy or consulate, it was a $50 charge. Yeah. Yeah, I'm expecting that. But I believe they can take care of it all in one appointment. Oh, they do it there? I think you can only have things notarized at an embassy or consulate. Oh, really? Like if you want a United States notarization. I think it only happens there. And they, uh, again, it was probably 10 years ago when I did it. It was a $50 charge. But you can lump a few different appointments into one appointment if it's all toward the same thing. So, of course, we're registering a birth and getting a passport. And in your case, you need a, the notary service. But it's all toward the same thing. So they'll do it all at the same time. That's good to know. Yeah, and that's a material change because you're actually, yeah, of course, changing the last name. Yep. But you can get pretty far on immaterial changes, actually, like adding names and hmm. things like that. They don't care that it's going from, I guess, your kid's last name will be in Katakana mm -hmm. and then going to Romaji in English. They don't care about that difference then. You don't yeah. need one of those necessarily for like the kanji to whatever. What's interesting about that is I wrote up the affidavit for the name change. And I wrote, you know, on the original Japanese form, it is this, which includes my last name in katakana and the kanji for his name. And then I wrote his kanji is pronounced like this in, you know, hiragana, it would be written this way. And in Roman alphabet, it would be written this way. And they quickly called me back up to the desk when I, after I'd handed my paperwork in and they said, for U.S. stuff, for U.S. purposes, we just can't have any other languages on it. Oh, really? Kanji or katakana hiragana. So he said, can you just mark out everywhere you wrote Interesting. that and then just write in English or, you know, Romanji or whatever above it. So then my letter didn't make any sense. <laughs> it was Nico. It's pronounced Nico. Yeah. I would like to change it to Nico. <laughs> so it, it looked ludicrous, but it was fine. And I just, you know, with a pen, just X'd it out and then wrote above it and there was no trouble. Interesting. Okay. So no Japanese language on that letter. So like all the rest of Americans in Japan, we want to pretend like kanji doesn't exist. <laughs> exactly. It's actually a national policy for the United <laughs> States that kanji does not exist. 
So the next thing you'll need is evidence of parents' U.S. citizenship, mm. which is easy enough to do. Just bring your passport. Right. And that covers another thing that you need, which is identification. The passport takes care of that. And you need one photocopy of that, you know, both of those, which equates to just the one photocopy will do it. Right. Now we're on to that crazy thing that we talked about before. You need evidence of physical presence. And this is to be sure that you qualify as someone who can pass on citizenship. As we said, you need that five years of living in the U.S. and two of those years have to be when you're 14 or over. So you need some way to prove rather than just telling them that that's true of you. You have to prove it somehow. And uh, they recommend transcripts from high school and college because if you could do both of those, you've got probably eight years covered if you can just show them those transcripts. For me, I had um, my college transcripts for you know four years. Luckily, I had copies of that. I brought in my birth certificate, which is, I don't know, it shows that I was born in Kentucky. I guess theoretically I could have left the next day. And I brought in a letter. Within that letter, it was for a scholarship thing that I had. And for some reason, I still have this letter. And it says, for your sophomore year of high school, junior year of high school, senior year of high school, you've accrued this much of scholarship money to contribute to college. So that letter sort of proved that I was in Kentucky for at least right. those three years of high school. So I felt like I had a solid seven years. And that was kind of nerve wracking to get all of that, like all those ducks in a row. But then they took it and it was no no issue whatsoever. I thought in the back of my mind, if they're being like very sensitive about it, they could say like, well, can you prove that these college classes weren't online classes mm -hmm. and that you did them abroad somewhere? And of course, I can't prove that, but it didn't come up. They just sort of take your word for it. You're like Kentucky, 1999. Just think about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They got the internet there. I mean, months ago, <laughs> obviously. My apologies to any Kentucky listeners. Just kidding. Yeah. I was really nervous about that because like to prove it like in right. a court of law with a prosecutor breathing down your neck, that's not exactly how it plays out when you're at the consulate office. Uh, they were really nice there and they just, you know, took the stack of documents. And then at the window, the guy, we did an interview, which takes 30 seconds, but the guy said, so basically you were born in Kentucky, lived there your whole life until you came to Japan at 23. And I was like, yep. He's like, good enough for me. So he just took my word for it. And I think if you were to set that standard of proof at like, can you prove this beyond any doubt whatsoever? That's impossible. And you would reject the applications of 99% of the people who apply. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, you do have to put up your right hand and do the oath that everything I've provided to you is true. And you say yes. And then I think that is sort of what seals the deal for the government to say like, okay, we'll, we'll take your word for it then. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. I'm slightly curious about mine because my parents moved us around and I went to so many different schools. So getting all my transcripts, it's going to be like, I mean, high school alone, I think was four. Wow. <laughs> and so they'll just be like, huh? So do you have that stuff here or do you have to track all that stuff down? No, I got to track a lot of that stuff down. I can't imagine doing that. I guess if you contact the schools, they can. I'm basically just not going to worry about high school, I think, and focus on college and then get a bunch of bills that I have that I can print off from online and go that route. That would be good. I graduated from college, stayed in Kentucky for a year, and then I moved to Japan. Mm. So I didn't have much like stable employment or I didn't own a house or anything. So oh, yeah. I didn't have a lot of things to prove myself outside of school. But luckily, you know, school stuff is something you tend to hold on to. So I did manage to have transcripts. 
at this point, we should say that this is for our case in particular, which is uh, one parent is a U.S. citizen, the other parent is a Japanese citizen, and you were married at the time that the child was born. Right. And if that's not exactly your case, there are different ways to deal with this. Also, we're both non-military. Right. If you had, you know, traveled abroad for military purposes, then a lot of the living in the U.S. for five years stuff is waived because you are operating on behalf of the U.S. government. So you'll have to really home in on exactly your circumstances and fill out the paperwork that's applicable to you if there's been a divorce or if the child was born out of wedlock or if you were in the military, any of that stuff. It'll take different documents to be filled out or you'll have to prove things in different ways. So there's something called the proof of relationship uh, that's in lieu of a marriage certificate. But of course, we didn't have to worry about that. Uh, then you're down to fees. Uh, it costs 235 American dollars to do this whole process, which I would recommend paying in US dollars given the exchange rate right now. Right. Yeah. This is not a good time to be transferring from yen to dollar. <laughs> if you have a couple of old US dollars kicking around, you might as well use those. I have five. Five. Okay. <laughs> we'll put your five to it. But I have an American bank account, so oh, okay. I'm, I'm covered. Yeah, that's good. Um, they'll take yen, of course, and they have like a certain exchange rate that they operate by will they take debit or credit card i'm on their website now and it says uh, cash is fine it says a u.s postal service money order is fine credit cards are fine but it says please also be prepared to pay with cash in case the credit card verification system is temporarily unavailable oh great that means it's down half the time yeah <laughs> for sure <laughs> and uh no personal checks it says so how would you get us dollars to pay them you could go to a bank and just request oh man that exchange rate is murder so really it's like sanman <laughs> to get honest yeah for sure uh the 235 by the way it's a hundred dollars to report the birth and 135 dollars to get the passport um, and then you could get a passport card for like an extra 15, I think. Never get the passport card. Never get the passport card. It's only good if you're like commuting into Canada for work every day. Yeah, such a waste of money. Um, then you need photos. Uh, photos are very difficult to get of a baby looking sort of straight faced, <laughs> eyes open at a camera with a nice white background. Uh, what they recommend for a baby is actually put down a white sheet on the floor or on a bed or something and then take the photo from above, which is what we did. We actually put down a white towel, but I thought the towel looks a bit textured. So then I put down a white dress shirt just the back of which, like over that towel, which made a nice clean white background. And then as ever with a baby, you take 20 photos and then keep the one that looks decent. So we got a nice professional looking uh, passport photo for oh, our, good. our young businessman. Then you need a self-addressed letter pack plus or mm. letter pack light envelope, which you can buy at a post office here in Japan or at a convenience store sometimes. They cost like four, five, six bucks. And it's just a return envelope, basically, so that you footed the bill for the postage. So we took ages gathering all that stuff, compiling all those documents. You need translations of anything that's in Japanese, which you can make yourself, but it's just the hassle of doing it, you know? Yeah. So it was hours and hours and hours over several days, maybe a week of putting all that stuff together. Finally got it and then made our appointment at the consulate. You can do an appointment just before, actually. Yeah, I was going to ask, does it have to be the day before? You could make appointments way in advance. You could probably go several months in advance. But what I was worried about is, like, are they going to be booked up for the next few weeks? 
And if you look at their appointment system on their website, uh, I think we made the appointment at 11 p.m. for the 10 a.m. slot the next day. Uh, so they tend to have slots open. I think it's only two slots a day, but it's like they're not being used that much. So Oh, so they just fill a bunch of people into those two slots and call you as you get there? Or maybe it's uh, what I think is it's two slots for reporting a birth. And then there are probably two slots for passport renewal, two slots for whatever else. Oh, you know? okay. And then they'll probably have dozens of slots for the day, but they just sort of space them out that way. It was no trouble at all. We got in there and yeah, that was fine. So that brought us to the big day, uh, which was Tuesday this week um, of going to Osaka. So we had a two and a half hour train ride with the baby, which we had never done before. And then getting around Osaka, really big city. Um, it's only 800 meters from the station, but still like massive roads and like, you know, pedestrian crossing bridges. And, yeah. stuff. and once you're in, we were dealing with the consulate for 25 minutes. That's all it took. That's it. Yeah. We showed up at the door, did all of the security stuff, got up to the fourth floor, handed our uh, file in. They looked at it. They made us swear the oath that everything was true. They called us up again later to do the payment. And uh, they said, okay, you're free to go. And I looked at my watch and it was literally 25 minutes. That's great. Because I have so much I want to do in Osaka. A friend of mine told me though, uh, who had just reported a couple of births in the last two years, he had two kids and went and did both of them already. And uh, he said, like, expect to be there about two hours. Oh, wow. So he had a bit of a rougher go of it, or maybe just busier days or something or the paperwork was more complex for his situation, maybe? I don't know. I assume most people going to do this would have to either wait for a holiday yeah, or take a day off on a day where everybody else is probably taking a day off. So it's probably busier for those people, whereas you or I right now can go on a random Tuesday and see nobody. Yeah, that might have been the difference. It was, yeah, luckily very easy for us. The other thing about it is they have, uh, there's a sign on one of the doors in the waiting room that says nursing room. Oh, that's cool. And in case you have a baby, and I guess they do have a lot of babies coming through because a lot of what needs to be done is re reporting births and getting passports. You're bringing babies in there. Yeah, <laughs> a parade of babies through that consulate office. And uh, we had wrapped up after 25 minutes, but we thought, well, we've got a nice cushy spot here to feed the baby. And the room was like a conference room or something that they probably just realized, oh, we need a nursing station, really. So it was a massive room with like lovely big cushy chair and big windows that look out in the city and everything. And uh, my wife and the baby went in there and did a little nursing. And I sat awkwardly in the waiting room for 30 minutes. They took pity on me noticing because everyone else had sort of filed out and left and I was all alone. And then like, you're supposed to turn off your phone and you can turn it on later, but I just don't want to deal with it. You know, I just want to like keep everything on the up and up. I don't want to make them think I'm taking pictures or something if I'm right. looking at my phone and it creates a, a panic. So I just thought, leave my phone off, leave it in my pocket. And I didn't bring a book because the bag that you're supposed to take to the consulate is supposed to measure no more than 10 inches by 10 inches. What? And it's it's on their website. Oh, I missed that entirely. Yeah. To streamline your visit, they say, and to make security easier, don't bring a real backpack. But whatever you bring needs to be 10 inches by 10 inches, which is insane. Do they have like a locker downstairs for leaving the actual bags that you're bringing? They do not. So we had to... <laughs> Like step one out of Osaka station is go to a bank of lockers, coin lockers, okay. and put your real bags in there and then consolidate down to your 10 inch by 10 inch bag. And naturally, while we were in the waiting room, a dude walked in with just his full like tactical backpack. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, so apparently that's not a big deal. 
thanks for making me reshuffle my whole life. I had a tiny bag, so I didn't really bring a book or anything. And then uh, there was a television in there that was off, but I was sitting there alone and obviously just waiting. And suddenly the TV miraculously turned on. And what was it? But game two of the first round of the NBA playoffs, Golden State Warriors versus the Denver Nuggets first quarter. And they turned it on and they were like, here, have a little NBA in your life. Nice. It was amazing. It was like so fast, so smooth. And then they showed me an NBA game at the end of it. Nice. It was a wonderful experience. Don't get your hopes too high, but uh, it was really good there. I don't know. We're going to go after Golden Week. I'm kind of expecting it to be crazy during Golden Week. And then that week after Golden Week to be dead. Could be, yeah. Because of the vacation time that everyone will have. Yeah. I learned a bit of wisdom from a former teacher of mine, my Japanese teacher in Vermont. Uh, she brought a bunch of students to Japan on a kind of like a one week trip or something. And we met up with her. We had already left Vermont, lived here. And she emailed me saying she would be in Kyoto. So we went down and met up with her. And imagine you're the teacher and you're getting 15 students through Japan. You've got to think about the seating at any restaurant you go to. You got to have oh, 15 man. together or... You've got to get 15 train tickets to get through the subway. You've got to like have a bathroom break for 15 people or whatever. So the wisdom that she passed on to me was do as little as you can on the itinerary for that day. Like do one thing in the morning, one thing in the afternoon, and then your day's finished. Right. So don't plan out, you know, 10 spots you want to hit today, just two and then you're going to have a nice, easy trip. Yeah. Uh, so I thought with a baby, one baby equals like 15 people. Right. So we planned just go to the consulate. And then we passed on our way there. We passed a Shake Shack, nice. which is a rare treat. Yeah. So we thought, okay, we'll stop there for lunch. That'll be our second thing. And uh, it was in a shopping center. So then we also walked around the shopping center. Does the Shake Shack offer any vegetarian? It does, yeah. They have the shroom burger. Oh. And it was freaking delicious. Nice. Really good. Okay, I was wondering about that. I saw the pictures and I was like, man, is he just eating potatoes? Yeah. <laughs> they had the one item and I jumped on it. Yeah. So that was our day in Osaka. The other great thing about that trip was uh, this is just like personal thing, but we were on the train and a conductor came by and he said, you know, in a bit of English and then some Japanese as well. He said, Oh, how old's this boy? Because you know we have a tiny, tiny two-month-old baby. Right. That oh, it's two months. It's his first time on the train, and we're going to Osaka for his passport and that sort of thing. He was like, "Oh, that's nice." And then he walked away. Then he came back, and he had taken a sheet of origami paper that was the U.S. flag, and had folded it into a classic Japanese paper crane. Wow. And gave it to the boy. And like, what better gift could there be? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, the kid is Japanese American. It's an American flag made into a Japanese craft. Mm. And he's going to the US consulate in Japan that day. So it's like this really nice sort of keepsake thing that he yeah, gave Yeah, that's him. really cool. And he let him try on his conductor's hat. And then he also said, this totally blew my mind. He said, um, do you guys want to go to a private room on the train? Uh, and yeah. I didn't know they existed on a train. I thought like, you know, you look at a train and you can see the whole thing. It's like a couple of seats here, a couple of seats there. Where do you have room for a private room somewhere? But it's in that section of the car that's like restrooms. Uh, mm, you know, yeah. Sometimes there's a few restrooms lined up. There's a door that you slid open and it was a couple of seats in there. And it's made for people who are either, you know, a mother who's nursing or somebody who feels sick. And you can actually lay the seats down into kind of a bed. So he's like, do you guys want to go sit in the private room? We're like, Heck yeah. 
it was like Narnia in there. It was a totally different world. <laughs> and we had this wonderful experience. He was so nice. Yeah. And that really made the whole day like really complete and feel like a special experience. So shout out to JR West. Nice. Japan Rail West getting us down to Osaka. Was that class. just the way down? Yeah, just the way down. They didn't give you the private room on the way back. Yeah, on the way back. It was it all is down to the conductor and how cool oh. he is. And on the way back we had kind of a douchey conductor. So he was he wasn't <laughs> taking just completely part. ignored you. Yeah. <laughs> and right now on the trains in Japan, you know, on an express train you can swivel the seats around it's obviously yeah. like rows of two seats and they're all facing the same direction but if you step on a pedal at the edge of the seat it swivels around 180 and you can make a like a four pack of seats that are facing each other we did that because we have so much stuff like a stroller and a couple of bags and yeah. this like wormy little baby who's you know uh squirming all around so we did it and then uh on the way back it wasn't a problem on the way down no hmm. problem at all. On the way back, the conductor ran over to us right out of the gate and said like, oh, because of coronavirus, we're actually not allowed to make the seats face each other. So you're going to need to turn these seats back around. Like, But we lived here. Yeah, well, all three of us, we woke up this morning in the same room. We got into the same car. We did this on the way down. We sat in the same waiting room, had lunch together. And now on the way back, we're a big corona hazard to one another. Uh, so that's a nonsense corona policy. I mean, you know, I'm all four Corona policies, but yeah. when they're full on utter nonsense of three family members who yeah. are not allowed to face one another, it's like, okay, JR, amend it a bit, please. Yeah. But beyond that one douchey guy, it was a lovely day and a lovely experience. Well, that's good. So that's what it takes. And then you have to wait. They actually take all your paperwork and send it to the United States. It's processed mm. in the United States. They send right. it back to the consulate. The consulate puts it in the letter pack and then sends it to your house. And that takes like three to four weeks on average. So we're still two and a half weeks out from actually seeing if we receive this passport. That's not too long. I kind of expected it to take longer. I mean, they said three or four at the window. I've seen different estimates elsewhere, but I think if everything goes smoothly and the mail's running properly, the flights aren't grounded because of Corona or something, then three or four should do it. Not because of Corona right now. Yeah, we're in a kind of window here. That was the whole experience. That's what it took. Okay, good to know. That's a relief for me to hear. Hopefully in a couple of weeks we can go and have a, as easy of a time. I think we're going to drive down though. Oh, really? Yeah, and we might stay the night because we, we have a dog and finding somebody to watch the dog the whole day is kind of a pain in the ass. And then they do these like dog hotels where you can put them and... I just don't trust it. And I feel terrible because, you know, it's just going to be a kennel for like 12 hours or however long you're gone. They'll let them out for like 10 minutes, maybe. I don't I have no idea. This may, may be wrong, but that's how I feel. So I'm just I'm I'd rather just go down. Everybody get a place to stay, hang out there, have a more relaxing time. Yeah. And your dog, Isla, as we mentioned a couple episodes back, is like seems pretty sensitive and skittish. And then she's super sensitive. Throw her into dog jail for a whole day yeah that seems rough for a psyche yeah i'd, I'd feel terrible and <laughs> she'd probably give me shit for a week yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> literal shit maybe <laughs> i think that wraps up the old segment and we can proceed on to our japanese of the day all right let's do it what do you got for us this is something i've heard uh you know your baby often gets a cute little smile on his face and in Japanese, I was surprised to hear what they say to signify that this baby is smiling. Hmm. And they go with the verb, what out, 
wada'u, which in my studies has always meant to laugh. Oh. And the kid just gets a big smile on his face, but then they say, he's laughing, he's laughing. Huh. In my mind, that's how I was kind of translating it. And there are other words that I thought in my ignorance would have been better, like hohoemu is a word that I learned once that means specifically to smile. That sounds like laughing. Yeah. I thought, why, why wouldn't <laughs> they say hohoemu uh, as fun and light and laughy mm. as it sounds? Because I, I always read that translated as to smile. Then there's also egao. And egao is a noun, which means a smiling face. So I thought, why, mm. why don't they say egao in the noun form or hohoemu in the verb form? I've never heard either of those applied mm. to the baby who's smiling. They always say warau. Uh, which means to laugh. And then I read about it a bit more deeply, and it turns out it's one of those words that doesn't translate exactly, but there's like a Venn diagram of what we may call laughter or smiling and the Japanese, what they call smiling or laughter. Oh, okay. And then there's some overlap in terms there. But warau can mean just to smile. Mm. If you ever see the kanji character, the wara of warau, that's the Japanese LOL, actually. Oh. In a text message, you'll see that kanji character and it means laughing. So I always associated it with a real like outburst of laughter, but apparently it covers the base of smiling too. That's very ambiguous and makes sense in Japanese. Like I don't want to commit to a full laughter, but maybe it's a smile, maybe it's a laughter. I'll let you decide. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I don't want to step on anybody's toes. <laughs> I might have just been smiling. Who's to say? I did read somewhere, and I can't vouch for this, but I read and trying to look these terms up. Hohoemu, somebody said, it's like a smile with a warm heart. And somebody else called it like a slight smile. So maybe it's a little more of like a, almost an internal smile or kind of a uh. peaceful little smile. But a kid is usually more like, you know, got a big open mouth thing right. going on. And he's not feeling this warm feeling. He's like giggly unless so, he peed himself yeah there's some warmth for a few seconds well it's actually farting if they're smiling it's probably because they farted oh, so yeah. maybe there is some warm feelings me too <laughs> yeah so those terms really confused me but when it comes to the baby you will hear what out what out for laughing or smiling. I guess we've introduced him to a couple Japanese people, but maybe I haven't paid attention to what they said. Or maybe he just hasn't smiled, which is likely. He's stone cold, man. He's like, who are you people? He's a tough guy. <laughs> so let's mix up the order a little today. Uh, half to change things up and half because we just forgot. <laughs> I've got a my question for you is. Perfect. So my question for you is, uh, this is something that I've thought about or worried about a bit, and that's like your baby is going to always look one direction and then get a lopsided head. Or you, like you look at your baby's head or something and oh. you notice like oh, his head's a bit flat on that side or a bit oblong or something. Oh, what do I do? And then you either do or don't make a concerted effort to always lay him down this way or that way. So have you had that worry yourself? And then have you done anything to address it? I have. Yeah. I was actually just talking about this with Moe maybe a couple of days ago. I noticed that when we lay Coda down, he's, you know, he's always on his back and then his face always goes to the left. Mm. Like just instinctively it falls that way. Uh -huh. And that's his like comfortable way of sleeping and basically doing everything. Uh, so I was trying to like figure out a way. I was like, can we just turn his head? But every time you try to turn his head, he's just like, nope, I want to go this way. So I ended up reading about it a little bit. And uh, basically it said like a lot of parents have this concern, but usually everything works itself out. Like once the kid's able to get like the neck control down, 
he'll like swap back and forth and then, you know, sleep on his side sometimes. And that helps balance things out. So yeah, I am concerned about his lopsided head right now, but I mean, he's only three weeks old, so yeah, going to go back. He's got time to grow into his head. Yeah. Did you have concerns? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I read actually in uh, the book, what to expect that sometimes it's down to a kid is in the womb and say because of the placenta or because of his position or whatever Uh his head is always pointed in one direction right and then when he's born it's like his muscles and tendons and everything have developed to be a bit looser on one side than the other or Mm. more extended on one side than the other and then the kid is only comfortable that one way yeah that Uh, makes sense that over time of course you can stretch yourself out and it'll get its balance back and i read the same thing that you read that it's not something to worry about and that it does tend to sort itself out but we also do try to lay him with his head pointing in one direction and then inevitably he'll roll it back to the other direction that he's more comfortable in but we try to balance it out when we can so we're making an effort. I don't know if it's all for not. It seems like it is based on what we've read, but um, yeah, the kid's going to do what he wants. Yeah, pretty much. And he'll just grow into it and his, you know, his whole body's changing so rapidly. It makes sense that um, as his head grows, that it'll balance itself out. I have noticed that when we're doing like tummy time and he's on my chest and like kind of taking a nap, he points his head the opposite direction. So I know he's getting a balance that way. It's, Still, it's actually still putting the same pressure on the same side of the head. Yeah. (laughs) But at least like maybe the neck muscles are getting stretched. Yeah. And that's beneficial if he's stretching himself out. As it relates to us as adults, have you noticed this, that when you back up in the car after a lifetime of driving in America, you want to look over your right shoulder And I've noticed that now in Japan, you should look over your left shoulder because the steering wheel is on the other side, but I can't really turn my body and look over my left shoulder because I think I had years and years of just stretching that one way, rotating my head back over my right shoulder. I don't turn my head. You madman. No, no. I heavily insured and you just go for it. (laughs) I think it's just years of driving truck where I've had no like window to look out in the back like you just instinctively get used to using your mirrors so i've just gotten so used to mirror backing up that i never look over my shoulder when i'm backing up you're living life in the fast lane yeah madness yeah i am so paranoid i need to look at the camera i need to check the mirrors and go over my shoulder once this kid's more mobile i'm definitely going to be more paranoid yeah and I'm going to be like, all right, where are you? Okay, now I'm going to back up. You'll install a system of mirrors so you can always see. Well, I mean, both of our cars do have the backup camera, so that does help. Yeah. I don't look at it too often, but I think just years of driving with mirrors have broken me. Yeah, I see. <laughs> We're going to get back in the tradition of dad jokes today. All right. I've got three of them. I've got two terrible ones. <laughs> I've got three that I'm kind of happy with, so I'm going to kick off here. All right. First one is just a one-liner. It's really good. It says, 6.30 is my favorite time of day, hands down. (laughs) What do you got teed up over there? Actually, I've got a good one-liner for you. Did you know you can get an entire chess set at a pawn shop? (laughs) Is that it? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It is striking. It seems like you can only get half of it at most. Well, I guess pawns do promote. So do they promote? Yeah, you know, when a pawn when a pawn gets to the other end of the board, it can become anything. Oh, that's true. Right. Sorry, my mind is in marketing. You're like promote, and I'm like, does he have a banner? <laughs> I'm gonna take a break from dad jokes and get really serious for a second. Oh, okay. I thought of a chess analogy for children the other day. 
And it's that (laughs) if you don't have your own kids or if you don't play chess every day, this might not be. (laughs) You can just get bored a few minutes. But it's like um, all of the pieces on the back, the rook, knight, bishop, queen, and king, those are all like the adults, you know? Like say the king and queen are the parents. And then like maybe the, the rooks, bishops, knights are like the teachers, daycare workers, uh, other people who are going to be in the kid's life coming and going. And those pieces on the chessboard, they can move any direction. They can go out, they can come back, they can be near the kid, away from the kid, they can do whatever they want. But the pawn only moves forward. And gets sacrificed. Gets sacrificed routinely. (laughs) But that's not the point. (laughs) But the pawn is the child, you know. The kid only has one direction. Okay. But is another piece you can you know get into something and then leave it for a few years and then get back into it if you want or you can take up a hobby and forget about it you can come and go as much as you like in life you can quit your job and get a different one but the kid its milestones are one direction and Mm. that is maturing developing skills getting bigger getting taller it only goes one direction and then at the end of the kid's sort of like childhood that's when the pawn reaches the other side of the board and promotes into one of the other pieces. It becomes the teacher or becomes the mother okay. or father. Or something. I gotcha. A loose analogy. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I just think about the success rate of pawns reaching the other end, yeah. it's pretty sad. It's a little more like sea turtles in that case, <laughs> I suppose. But yeah, it just all struck me. And I thought, yeah, chess does explain everything. Yeah. It's all things to all people. It's perfect. <laughs> perfect sport. Back to dad jokes. All right, your turn. Why shouldn't you wear glasses when you play American football? I mean, other than the obvious, so you don't lose your eyes. Well, it's actually because it's a contact sport. Oh. <laughs> it's better in person when I can see the anguish on your face. Yeah. All right. What do you call stormtroopers playing Monopoly? Uh, what do you call stormtroopers playing Monopoly? And these are Star Wars stormtroopers, not like Nazi stormtroopers, right? Obviously, okay. Star Wars. <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about a man. I, I have to give up. Game of Clones. <laughs> it's also kind of a Game of Thrones joke. A little bit. All right. Uh, the last one is, um, can you guess why I gave up origami? No. It's just too much paperwork. <laughs> hi I got one more. Okay. What is Canada's national board game? Hmm. Canada's national board game. Let me think about it for just a second. Just a second. I don't know. What is it? Sorry. <laughs> okay. That's good. <laughs> That's very good. I give that joke an A. A. (laughs) All right. Thank you for listening today. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at jpopspodcast or by email at info at thejpops.com. Talk to you next time. Later. Bye. Get very breathy later. 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 Later.